So, it's great to see everybody. It's great to be able to worship with everybody today, um, especially on such a kind of rainy, cold day. I'm glad that we can kind of gather together and be warmed by the presence, the fellowship of one another, as well as the Word. And so, welcome to church. If you haven't been to the Tapestry before, welcome. It's great to, to be able to worship with you. For those of you who are here for the first time, they're actually these like kind of little welcome cards in, in, the, in the seat in front of you. Feel free to grab one of those cards and fill it out. We'd love to connect with you more, get to know with you more. Um, pray uh, over you or the prayer requests that you might have, and you'll find that in the, in the, bit, in the seat in front of you. And um, we are just going to get into it, and we're going to continue our sermon series on Isaiah today. And hopefully, it is something that is, uh, this sermon series is something that is, is fruitful to you, encouraging to you. We're going to continue on with this series because there's just so much good stuff in this book. Isaiah can seem like an intimidating book, six, like so many chapters in this book. Um, but hopefully, it's something that, that as we navigate through it, you're going to see like, all of the good stuff that this book has to, has, has to offer and has for us. And today, what we're going to do is we're kind of going to talk about plants. If you didn't guess before, when we're talking about leaves and stuff like that, we're going to talk about trees and vines and roots and shoots and fruit because the Bible is full of this kind of imagery. When you start reading the Bible, you're not going to go long before you see this kind of imagery of, of trees and gardens and stuff like that, right? And we see it in the very beginning, Right? Because in the beginning, in the first book of the Bible, we see a garden. And in that garden, there was a tree that was in the middle of it, and it was called the tree of life. And I love what the theologian Vern Poitras says about this tree. And the, um, Vern Poitras, he says, the important thing about this tree is not how the tree looked or how big the tree was or whether or not even if the tree was real or not. No, the important thing about this tree is what this tree represented. And Vern, he goes on to say that what the tree represented was a concrete symbol and expression of communion with God. The tree was a concrete symbol and expression of communion with God. And so, get this, right? In the beginning, God creates Adam and Eve, and they were the crown jewel of creation. They were people created in the image of God, and they were then placed in a garden where all of creation had direct access to the sweet fruit of God's presence, the comforting shade of God's presence, the anchoring presence of God. And then as we read, for we read that in the garden, there was a turning from God, that Adam and Eve decided to eat the fruit from a different tree. And because they went to a different tree for fruit, all creation became separated from its connection with God. Where there was once rest and peace and life in God, there was now chaos and discord and death without God. There's this moment that theologians call the fall, right? But I love what the pastor Jonathan Stott says about this very moment. And he says that the minute the world fell apart, the minute the world fell apart, God went into mission mode. In other words, the minute the world fell apart, God set to, work, uh, set to the work of setting things right again. God went to the work of restoring this connection with him. In other words, God set to reestablishing this tree of life 
in our midst. And the passage that we're going to look at today in Isaiah, it gives us a picture of who will restore that tree, of who will restore that communion with God. And it also gives us a picture of how things will look at that time when the tree of life is present among us once again. And the passage that we're looking at today is in Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 to 10. And it's a beautiful passage, and we're just going to read through that now so that we can see how it goes down. And starting at um, verse 1, it reads like this. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf, and the lion, and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like an ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy In all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of God as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples of him, shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. This is the word of the Lord. I like it. I like it. We're getting there. Let's get a hearty one in there. This is the word of the Lord, right? I mean, it's a good word. Even before we're digging into it, we can tell that this is a good word. And what I want to show us today is that this passage here, it will give us a picture of, number one, a relentless gardener, number two, of a shoot and a root, and number three, of a growing kingdom. So a relentless gardener, a shoot and a root, and a growing kingdom. So first, let's talk about this relentless gardener, right? That, and, and so the, in Genesis, there's this fall, right? This tree of life is not present anymore. And the Bible tells us that the first way that God tries to return the tree to our midst, the first way that God tries to restore his connection with people is by raising up a chosen people called the Israelites, So in Isaiah chapter 5, we read about how God draws near to these people and he cares for them like a gardener planting a vine. And God's hopes was that the fruit of this vine would then in turn heal and bless the nations. In other words, God's hope was that he would rise up and grow a holy people and that they would draw all people back to life with God, that they would bless the nations. So God began this work of growing this vine, and what started as a family, it became a tribe. And then what was a tribe then became a nation, and then this nation eventually had a king. And Israel's very first king, 
Israel's leader, its representative, was a man by the name of David, King David, the son of Jesse. Now David, the son of Jesse, he was the archetype. He was the king that all other Israelite kings would be compared to. He was the OG, the original king. And then we read that the nation continued to grow. Things continued to happen. But by the time we get to Isaiah, we see that God's rescue mission looks bleak. The Israelites, at that point, they have become prideful and they have become corrupt. They have turned away from God and have even become two completely separate nations. And we read that none of their kings were able to lead rightly and hold this nation together so that it might bless all the other nations and bring everybody into right relationship with God. And so in Isaiah 5, it describes Israel like a vine, right? But it also describes Israel like a vine that keeps on producing bad fruit, right? It's not producing fruit that is restoring relationship, all of these things. And so finally, the image we have in Isaiah 10 is God chopping Israel down. In Isaiah 10, it tells us how the nation of Assyria will be like an axe in God's hand, and Israel will be cut down like a forest, and all that would be left would be a field of burnt-out tree stumps. Whoa. Where there was once the hope in this vine that was going to grow and have this good fruit, and it was going to restore life with God, there was now this stump. But then look at what it says in verse 1 of our passage. It says, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from its roots shall bear fruit. You know, even though the Israelites were this vine that yielded bad fruit and they couldn't bless the nations, the passage tells us that there was still a life in the original root of the tree. The passage tells us that there was still a vitality in the original root of a tree and uh, of the tree and a new shoot from Jesse's stump. A new son of Jesse, a new king like David would come one day and restore life with God. And so the passage that we have in this, or the picture that we have in this passage is, is almost like God bringing things to the edge, bringing things to the brink of death so that he could grow life once again through this new shoot. And so the thing that I kept on thinking about when I was reading this verse in this passage was chemotherapy. I was just kept on thinking about chemotherapy because chemotherapy happens when a patient is sick, when a patient is dying. And in order to save the patient, in order to give the patient new vitality, in order to give the patient new life, the doctor has to bring the patient to the edge of death. The doctor has to give the patient uh, medicine that will attack the patient's body and cause even more sickness and cause even more pain in order to bring life once again to the body. In his judgment, God had chopped Israel down. But even though it looked like God was giving up on us, and it looked like God was giving up on his creation, God was still on the move. 
right? God was still on mission. God was still working to restore the tree. He was still working to bring us into the fullness of life with him. He was a relentless gardener. And so in Isaiah, we get this picture of a relentless God who is determined to bring life. And so church, this is why I believe there may be times in our own lives where God will perform a spiritual surgery in you. There may be times in our own lives where God may perform a spiritual surgery on you, where he will take away your comfort, or he'll take away your security, or he'll take away your pride, or he'll take away, or he will allow you to face the consequences of your sin for a season, but the reason that he cuts you will be so that he might heal you. The reason he cuts you will be so that he might grow in you a deeper faith and a deeper joy and a deeper life with him. And look, church, I don't know what life looks like you right, for you right now, right? It could be great. You could be rejoicing. Things could be well. But life for some of us can also feel barren. It could feel like we're sitting in a field of burnt-out stumps. And for those of us, can I just say, God has not left you. Some of you sitting in this room, this is the, this is the word that you need to hear today. God has not left you. You know, the Bible tells us that even in the midst of the darkest valley, God is with us. Even in the midst of the darkest valley, he is there. He does not leave us. He is the gardener who refuses to give up on the tree. He is the doctor who refuses to leave us to the cancer. And so we see in the book of Romans, it says that God is constantly working for the good of those who love him, even though it, when it might not feel that way, even though it might not seem that way. Romans tells us God is constantly working for the good of those who love him. And so church, some of you sitting in this room, some of you might have given up on God. And I'm just here to say God has not given up on you. God has not given up on you. Because if God shows us anything by being on mission from the very beginning, from the moment of the fall until now, it's that he is relentless. It's that he does not give up so easily. So look, if you are in the valley today, if that's where you find yourself, I implore you to keep following, keep pursuing, keep trusting, keep praying, because God is present. God is with us like we have been saying. Because with God, sooner or later, he will bring with him new life and new shoots and new growth, even on places that look barren and like a stump. And so this passage, it's telling us from the stump of Jesse will come a new shoot. And unlike fruitless Israel, this new shoot, this new shoot that's coming up from the stump, it will bear fruit. And then the next few verses in our passage, it describes what this mysterious shoot will be like. He will be filled with the Spirit. He will fear the Lord. He will bring justice to the earth. And then you get further down, and then you see the next um, few verses in the passage. It goes on to describe the new reality that this new Davidic king will bring about, where the wolf will dwell with the lamb, and the leopard will yet um, lie down with the young goat. And the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of God. 
And here Isaiah is giving us this picture of peace, right? This picture of the ending of the oldest hostilities and fears, that the oldest arguments, that the oldest um, controversies and, and um, uh, people who are against one another, that will cease. The wolf will lie down with the lamb, right? And and the knowledge of God, what I really love about these few verses is this picture of the knowledge of God filling the whole earth. Because, you know, the knowledge of God that this passage is talking about is this knowledge through experience. You know, the um, Hebrew word for knowledge, it's an active verb, so it's knowledge through ex- uh, experience. And what that means is this knowledge is a kind of intimate knowing through personal engagement. So what this passage is saying is the shoot of Jesse will bring about a reality where everyone will once again have this connection with God. Everyone will once again have this deep and personal relationship with the Lord. In other words, the tree will be back and in full effect. And then look at how the passage ends, because it ends very interestingly. Instead of being called the shoot of Jesse, that's how the passage begins, verse 1, Jesus called, or this person is called the shoot of Jesse. This same mystery king is now called the root of Jesse, right? It's mentioned in that last verse, a root of Jesse. Now, in botany, we don't have to be botanists to know that a root and a shoot are two completely different things, Right? The, the shoot is what grows from the roots. It's, what, it's the final product that finally peeks its head out from under the ground. But the root is a plant's foundation. A root is a plant's source. It's the plant's start. So how is it possible that this new Davidic king will be the root and the shoot? Who is this root and shoot? I kind of gave it away a little earlier. And, you know, I'm a pastor, so of course I'd go this way, but of course this makes me think of Jesus, none other than Jesus. And, you know, I love the book of Revelation and how Jesus is described, because in the book of Revelation, it describes Jesus as the first and the last, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. You might as well just fit root and shoot in there, the root and the shoot. Jesus is the root. Jesus is the beginning. He was the word that spoke everything into existence. But Jesus is also the shoot. Jesus is the end. He will be there in the very end where Revelation describes him as reigning on the throne in this holy city where everyone once again has access to the tree of life. Jesus is the root and the shoot. He is the one that restores communion and connection with God. Who else could it be? And so in Isaiah chapter 5, the Israelites were the vine that kept bearing bad fruit. But we read in the Gospel of John, Jesus called himself the true vine. I am the true vine. In other words, I will be the one that will restore true connection and true communion with God. Church, do you, are, you, are we beginning to see how incredible the Bible is, how interwoven it is? You know, there are 66 books in the Bible, and it's written over the span of 1,500 years, approximately. But the Bible, it all fits together somehow. It all um, reads as this unified whole. And if I were to sum up the Bible in one sentence, all of those books, I would say that the Bible is about the mission of God 
accomplished through Christ Jesus. The Bible is all about the mission of God accomplished through Christ Jesus. And one of the things, I think, in the midst of this, that we need to know about the way God works, that we need to know about how God completes his mission, is that God's ways are not our ways, are they? The way God works is unexpected. I know that sounds cliche, but it's so true that God's ways are not our ways, that the way God works is unexpected. Because look, if you were God and you were going to come down to earth and um, lead people, have people follow you, all of these things, wouldn't you come in glory? Wouldn't you come with a big show with pyrotechnics? Wouldn't you at least come with a media and PR team so that people would know who you are? But Jesus does none of that. Jesus, he comes in humility, born as a carpenter's son in a manger. He lived as a cultural outsider from some, he was from some small, nondescript town. And at the end of it all, the king of creation, he died on the cross as a criminal. And somehow... In God's plan, this moment that looks like defeat and humiliation became the salvation for the world. It became the forgiveness for sins. Who could have imagined that? And I bring this up, church, because I think sometimes we can have this feeling of how our stories should go. Don't we? Like, we all sometimes have a feeling of how life should unfold for us or for those around us. There are all times in our lives, I think, where we can be backseat story writers. God, you shouldn't do that. You should make things unfold in my life like this. Why aren't you making this happen for me yet? You should be doing that. Why isn't this going on in the world? But God's ways are not our ways. And the way God works can be unexpected. So church, my implorement is instead of trying to be authors of our own stories, let's try to live into the story that God is writing. Let's trust him to finish the story and to write it and join alongside with him as he's doing it. And let me catch you up to where we are in the story right now. We talked about who is the root and the shoot, and now it's the last thing we're going to talk about, the growing kingdom, right? That's the last thing we're going to talk about today. We are, the part we are in the story right now is the growing kingdom. So, like a seed that is buried in the ground so a new thing can grow, Jesus died, and he was placed in a tomb, and then he rose again, and along with him, there is this new thing growing, this new thing going on. It's like this new reality of life with God is here, and it is firmly planted thanks to Jesus' death and resurrection. But at the same time, this new reality is not fully here yet. This new reality is not fully grown. As so many people say, the kingdom of heaven is now and not yet. The reality where the tree of life is fully present and everyone has access to the sweet fruit of the presence of God, the comforting shade of God, the anchoring presence of God, that reality is not fully here yet. And today, our call 
is to help grow the presence of the tree in the world today. In other words, we are called to join in on the story. We are called to be a part of the mission of God. We are called to help bring the presence of God into the lives of others and into the spaces around us. And the good thing is, church, we have help. We have help. Because let's go to verse 1 of our passage. Verse 1 and 2, that slide there. And it says that this shoot will have the Spirit of the Lord rest upon him. And you know, when Jesus, when he begins his ministry, we are told that Jesus is filled with the Spirit. But near the end of his ministry, Jesus also says that his disciples will be filled with that same Spirit that we, that the church, have access to the same spirit that Jesus did. Why? Well, so that we can have access to the presence of God in our lives, because the kingdom of heaven is now. But also so that we can carry on the mission, because the kingdom of heaven is not here quite yet. Today, the same spirit in our passage, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, that the spirit that was alive and present in Jesus is alive and present in us. And it's the Holy Spirit that empowers and helps us to live Christ-like lives so that we might join in on the story, so that we might be a part of the mission. This the Spirit is what helps us to live Christ-like lives so that we might join in on this story. And I love how our passage describes who Jesus was and who Jesus is. You know, in verse 3, I love how the passage says that his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. And you know, church, how I read that is that Jesus loved to serve God so much. Jesus desired to serve God so much that he trembled at the idea of disappointing God, that he was fearful of the idea of displeasing God. Holy Spirit, would you help us to love God and see his goodness so much that we would fear straying from him and his ways? You know, in verse 3 of our passage, I love how it says that Jesus will not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear because so often we make decisions because they look right and we make choices because they sound good. But Jesus, he can see to the heart of things. Jesus, he can hear past the noise. Holy Spirit, would you give us eyes to see people and situations the way that you do? Help us to follow you even when things don't look right to our eyes. I love in verse 4 when the passage says that Jesus will one day, he will set things right. That he will bring justice to the poor. You know, and we see Jesus' heart for justice. And we see Jesus' heart for the poor during his earthly ministry, don't we? Because Jesus did not just teach and preach. Jesus also fed the hungry. Jesus also healed the sick. In fact, Jesus identified with the poor so much that he became poor. He came to earth born in a manger. Holy Spirit, would you help us to be a people that pursue justice and befriend the poor? So much so 
that we learn their names. I love in verse 5 about how the passage talks about um, how Jesus' righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness um, be the belt of his loins, or the Hebrew word, it means his undergarments, you know, the, the clothing that is closest to him. You know, in the ancient Near East, putting a belt on meant that you are ready for action. That's what it meant, like you are ready to get out there once you put your belt on. And so the passage is saying that Jesus had this constant desire to act rightly and that when you take away all of the layers underneath it all, what you will find in Jesus is a desire to live faithfully for the Lord. Holy Spirit, would you help us to not just talk about our faith and not just keep our faith to ourselves, but help us to be a people of action and integrity who love you and want to share you with the world around us. You know, these passages, and I think Jesus, the character of Jesus, it gives us a picture of what it looks like to take part in the mission of God today. And Jesus, he also gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit to empower us and equip us for this work. And through the cross, Jesus gives us assurance that he loves us no matter what, that he, he does not give up on us, that he is relentless with us, and that he is forgiving and gracious to us when we fail. Thank you, Jesus. And so, church, let us live into this story. Let us join in on this mission, because when we do, not only will it grow the kingdom around us, in the spaces where we work or in the nooks and crannies of where we interact day to day, but we will find that it will grow the kingdom in us as well. Because pursuing Christ and being about our Father's work and working alongside Him is one of the key ways that I believe we can begin to have a taste of the sweet fruit of God in our lives that we can begin to have a taste of his comforting shade and the peace that he brings, that we can have the taste of his anchoring presence no matter what might come our way. So let's pray for that. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Lord and gracious Father, I just thank you that you, you are the good gardener that loved your world so much that you refused to leave it to the weeds. We, think that, we thank you that you are a relentless God who is constantly trying to grow a good thing, a new thing in us and around us. And Lord, help us to be um, the branches connected to Christ. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. That we can be connected to Christ, that we can receive the power of his spirit flowing through us. And in so doing, that we might produce good fruit, fruit that blesses the nations, fruit that is like a cool cup of water on a hot day, fruit that, that um, draws people into your presence. And we thank you that we don't go alone, but we go with one another and we go with the gift of the spirit. And we thank you that when we go, we get more and more of a taste of who you are, of your love for us, of your presence and your kindness to us. And finally, Lord, I just pray for those of us who are sitting in this room right now and thinking, mission, I can't go on mission. I can barely take care of myself. I'm stuck in this chair. I have, I have bills to pay. I have all these things going on. Lord, I pray that you can reveal to them also that you are on mission 
in their hearts right now. You are on mission in their lives right now, that you are working, that you are present, that you are active, that you are doing a good thing, that you are bringing about something new. And so, Lord, I just pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit that, that we might know that and that in, in um, your work that it might turn us into people who reach out as well, who are like your son Jesus, who go out to seek the stranger, who go out to love the lost, who go out to care for those around us and share your good news that you are alive and that you are doing a new thing and that there is forgiveness for all who would come and sit under his shade. All of these things we pray in your son's holy and precious name. Amen.